know. It's uh, Saturday night. Are you ready for swingers? I wasn't really expecting company, but sure, I guess. Do I need to put a bowl for the keys out or something? Or What, what are you talking about? You're talking like a, a swinger party, right? No, no, that's, I mean, no, no offense. No, I definitely don't want a kink chain, but that's, that's not my scene. I was, I was talking about the, the movie with, you know, the, your money and Vince Vaughn and Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Do we have to? I think we do. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, you're so money you don't even know it. Oh, I do know how money I am. I'm a beautiful honey baby. You know it. <laughs> how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I am just fine. Uh, tonight we're 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 done with the summer, but we're not done with road trips and hangout. I mean, yeah, this is the season of hangouts. So, yes, what better way to do that than with the soundtrack to 1996's Swingers? Yes, this is the second in our uh, Swing Revival trilogy that I am insisting that we do. This is all me right here, so that we're clear. This is an all Libby choice. Right, I, I would never suggest this on purpose. One of the best known soundtracks. It's a really monumental soundtrack, and it is beloved. So, it yeah, was it was time we did Swingers. It's kind of like one of those '90s touchstones that we we were bound to get to eventually. Is um, real, and, and with good reason. Yeah, but, we, but real quick. So this is the middle part of your uh, uh, Swing Revival trilogy. What was part one? One was the mask. Okay, right, right. And what will be part three? Three will be 1999's Blast from the Past. Ooh, okay. So, All right, I'm into that. Yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. Uh, this is this is sort of my niche right now. It's where I live. Yeah, we're right in Libby's wheelhouse tonight. We are. Uh, but before we do any of that, let's talk about our poll from our last episode on National Lampoon's Vacation. Not surprising anybody, uh, with 61 percent of the vote, Lindsey Buckingham's Holiday Road won that poll easily. Not as easily as I thought it would have. Right. It. it it was kind of a blowout, but it should have been a bigger blowout because second place was 34% was Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. That's a Wait. classic song, but I thought that because it was one that was already known, not written for the film, I thought that Holiday Road would have taken it a little more. Yeah. I mean, I kind of figured that the Christy Brinkley theme, quote unquote, uh, June Pointer's Little Boy Sweet would, would take more than 5%, but it did That didn't. was my vote. Oh, that was your one vote. Yep, that was me. <laughs> oh, and then Vanity Six with Heath So Dull, a big old goose egg. Oh, dang. That's a shame. But, but uh, come back onto our Twitter account, at OST Party, after this episode airs, and uh, we will be holding a poll for the best song from the Swingers soundtrack. Yes, it's going to so be look- a hard pick. There's some really good ones on here. Oh, yeah. So look forward to that. Uh, and now, Libby, tell us a little bit about Swingers. So the best way I can de- I can describe swingers is that it is clerks for dudes who wear bowling shirts. <laughs> that is, it is 
That is about, shockingly on point. Yes, it, it's a Miramax film. Uh, from sort oh, so of the, it's a, the, so it's a it's a classy picture. Yes, <laughs> it's in that uh, that indie film boom that we were having uh, in the in the late nineties. Yes, and it written by John Favreau, sort of his uh, debut on the scene. It's about Mike, played by John Favreau, who is a sad sack trying to get over his ex girlfriend Michelle, and embarks on a series of sort of, I guess, hangouts with his friend Trent, played by a way too hot Vince Vaughn. Like, I just want to get that out there. I was not expecting Vince Vaughn to be hot. Because when I think of Vince Vaughn, I think of Vince Vaughn and Anchorman <laughs> with his, like, male fathead syndrome going on. Yeah. And I sort of forgot there was a time where Vince Vaughn was really attractive. But unfortunately, there was never a time when Vince Vaughn wasn't Vince Vaughn. I know he's like painfully Vince Vaughn. It's like here he's at like his most concentrated and he became weaker as time went on. <laughs> I mean, Steven Spielberg will do that to you. Um, he's like, like famously Spielberg saw the dailies from this movie and said, I got to put that guy in Jurassic Park 2. <laughs> Jurassic Park 2 needs a douchebag. Let's get that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He seems like a, just absolute twerp. It's just weird <laughs> to me that like this, this you know, indie movie that kind of sparked a swing revolution stars the two two other guys from rudy because <laughs> that's like <laughs> when i think of vince vaughn and john Favre, i just think oh yeah those are the, those other guys from rudy <laughs> okay not unfair not unfair uh, no and i do think we need to point out that this was doug lyman's debut he is supposedly helming the new roadhouse he's a yeah. bad person with an ugly heart <laughs> He's directed. I hate him. He has directed exactly one good movie, and I'll leave you to decide which one that is. I I wish him all the best. It's, Eddie's been very successful with the the Born Identity series. They had Walton Goggins. He managed to put Walton Goggins and Clive Owen in the same movie, and I should love him for just for that for that alone. But <laughs> he's remaking Roadhouse. Like, don't you know there are things that you shouldn't do? I'm not going to remake Swingers. You don't remake an American classic like Roadhouse, you son of a bitch. Do you remember how there was a Roadhouse 2? <laughs> Any piece of shit filmmaker can remake Roadhouse. It takes a real visionary to say, I'm going to make Roadhouse 3. <laughs> um, I always thought if you were going to remake Roadhouse, um, I really, I kind of liked when they had Ronda Rousey in it, because I thought a female-led Roadhouse would be amazing. Okay. But I think it should be a black woman. I want to see Dalton played by a black woman. I would be there day one with bells on. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, hey, how about some billboarding school for uh, swingers? Uh, you were telling me a little bit about this, and it's fascinating. Okay. So the swingers, the album, and the movie both released the same week, October 15th, 1996. The soundtrack debuted on the Billboard 200. August 16th, 1997, almost a full year later. Wow. At number 200. So that says to me that Swingers really didn't take off until it hit video. Uh, my husband and I were kind of talking about that because this, this was something I don't think a lot of people necessarily saw in theaters and really benefited from repeat rentals and DVD sales. Yeah. Yeah, like this, it, at the box office, it made like four and a half million on a $200,000 budget. So it made money. Great. 
but like it really exploded when it hit video and that's when like the soundtrack really started to take off starting to see um the neo swing movement really really pick up uh which we'll we'll get to yeah definitely time. uh so the number one album in america the week that it hit the charts was bone thugs and harmonies the art of war and the top soundtrack at number three was men in black we had some competition oh absolutely uh swingers lasted nine weeks on the charts it peaked at 168 so it had some cachet it stuck around for a while but it wasn't like hugely popular it's a niche thing kind of like the swing revival yes uh the week that it fell off the charts uh leanne rhymes's you light up my life inspiration songs was the top album in america Ugh. and the top soundtrack was uh soul food at number four so reminder, well, this was also the period of time where like Men in Black was huge, but also Leanne Rhymes and Trisha Yearwood had huge a huge hit with the exact same song from the Con Air soundtrack. Because <sighs> America was really that screwed up at the time. Weird. We were weird in the 90s. Yeah. Like the top 10 albums, the, the, the week that uh, Swingers fell off the charts, is like an equal split between like classic rock acts and hip hop artists and country artists. Wild times. You know, you had the Rolling Stones hit number three. You had Fleetwood Mac with a live album. And then Bob Dylan just kind of snuck in there at number 10. I had that album, Time Out of Mind. Yep, that's the one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, um, what was the the one, like, outlier there? It, it, well, it was Aqua with their Barbie Girl, whatever that was called. We, we thought we had it all. Oh, yeah. Uh, so then, Swingers. Let's talk about Swingers. Yes. I was going to say, this is one of those soundtracks that does not go in order. No, no, no. It bounces around a little. So we're going to go through the film um, and, and piece out yeah. the songs. And, um, and that, some of the songs don't even appear in the film. Yeah. So we'll talk about those as, as, uh, as we get to them, I guess, or not rather. But no, the film does a pretty good job of sort of metting out the songs pretty regularly, mm-hmm. even with some songs that aren't on the soundtrack so yeah we'll have a good time it's a solid soundtrack it really is really is and like right up front like the opening credits kick in and we hear the the uh the sound of dean martin's you're nobody till somebody loves you uh let's go to a clip as sure as the stars shine above you're nobody till some but it loves you so find yourself some perfect way to start off a movie by the way yes and i love this montage of like old hollywood not old hollywood i mean it's old now but like 90s hollywood nightlife it's a lot of snapshots because it looks really like fun but very gritty yeah people are wearing flannel and the shots are overexposed and these it really does look like somebody's photo album which, given that this really is a hangout film, mm-hmm. I like that quality of it. One of the things about this film where they had to save some money was they shot this with a documentary film camera. Mm-hmm. Not not these scenes, but I imagine these scenes, these clips and snapshots were very much informed by like the way the rest of the film was shot. Yeah. Everything has this very like slice of life, real, like this is what uh, Los Angeles and Las Vegas really actually look like at this exact moment in time that um it's it seems like such a distant past to us now um Mm -hmm. but i see these opening shots and i'm like i want to hang out there 
this looks great. I know it, it feels, like it's a very warm kind of like fuzzy sort of nostalgia for a place that we never we never experienced. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, L.A. in the 90s. L.A. in uh, the 90s. Yes. Yeah, so this soundtrack does a really good job, as, as we'll discuss, with balancing sort of classic big band and cocktail and uh, sort of that mid-century jazz and standards with more contemporary acts. Um, but opening with the velvet smooth voice of Dean Martin can't be beat. Oh, absolutely. Now, this song was a hit from the beginning. Um, it was written by Russ Morgan, Larry Stock, and James Cavanaugh in 1944 as a hit for Morgan, where his 1946 version reached number 14 on the charts. You're not the only one that went to billboarding school. Aha. Uh-huh. Nice. The version we're listening to in the film is the 1964 Dean Martin version, although he also did one for Capitol Records in 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, this version on Reprise Records spent nine weeks on the Billboard Hot 100, peaked at number 25, and number one on what was called Billboard's Middle Road singles. <laughs> oh, wow. Mom and Dad Radio, huh? Yes. Um, as a jazz standard, it has been recorded by everyone from Sam Cooke to Rick Astley in 2005. Wow. Um, now, one of the things I like about this, and we could talk about this as we go through, but this song sets up a premise that you are nobody until somebody loves you, which if we look to the end of the film, Trent doesn't have anybody who loves him, so remains nobody. Yep. yep which I kind of dig, because Trent, as, as we'll discover, is a trash fire. But it also puts the onus on the listener to find somebody to love. Which mm-hmm. Mike does in Michelle. He loves on Michelle, but she doesn't love him back. So which is it, Dean Martin? Put down the goddamn scotch and tell us. Do you what? have to, somebody or do they have to love you? Which is it? Because I love a lot of people. And they don't love me back necessarily because I mean, they don't it, know I exist like Walton Goggins. So <laughs> uh, who, am I? Am I nobody? Am I somebody? What's going on? Please fill me in. Well, if, if somebody loves you, then that's all. The, that's all that matters. If you love them back, it, it's immaterial. But yeah, but he says that. But go find somebody to love, not to love you, but to love. Mm. It's a it's a mixed metaphor for sure. I know, <laughs> Dean Martin, get it together. Oh wait, you're dead. Oops. Uh, oh, it also sets up like Mike's headspace as we meet him in the film because like he he's lost his girlfriend, but as we find out later, kind of on his own because he decided yeah. to leave New York for los angeles for an acting gig and he left her behind now she now she won't answer his calls and she's moved on with somebody else yeah well i don't blame her but um what i also find kind of interesting about this this song swing revival died a quick and fairly brutal death but rat pack revival kind of remained steady it had kind of a steady trajectory i mean like michael buble of course was sort of doing that thing um we saw it in down with love which was 2004 uh there was still a little bit of that obviously like um a remake of dean martin's own oceans 11 yeah carried that theme so that's sort of like las vegas 1960s cocktail hour did carry on for a little longer than swing revival yeah and not to mention like hbo did a whole like uh, rat pack biopic in the late 90s and yeah dean martin in that was played by joe mantegna which is fantastic. Ray Liotta was Frank Sinatra. Yes, that's right. He was, <laughs> you know, that the 1960s music kind of carried on. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, and you can still see like Rat Pack shows in Vegas. Oh yeah, those tribute acts—they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so as as we hear the song play, and then the first scene comes up, Mike and his friend Rob, who's played by Ron Livingston, they're kind of discussing, you know, what Mike should do about his ex-girlfriend predicament. Yes, because he is really not taking this well. No, and this is like the first was the first sign to me that like, oh, they're they're pulling from the Kevin Smith playbook, aren't they? Oh my like, god, it's yes. Just, it's just douchey dudes talking about relationships and having no idea what they're saying. Well, it's a Miramax film, and that's what they were all about. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it's just going to be like the worst men you know pining over like a girl who is probably way out of their league anyway, but probably also not that special. Yeah, no. Because we've had if these guys are twenty three. Like, come on. Yeah, like none of them have have any real life experience with this, and they're all kind of stumbling through it. But they think they're experts. Yes, which on one hand is also very realistic. Because I think That's... about like the way I thought about love when I was twenty three, and even though I was I was with Ian by that point, but I still like was dumb about it. Right. Yeah. Like the the right person, the right like age group will think this is profound. Eh, I can't. Oh, and fault men it. thought this was profound. Men thought this film was so profound, but but not in the ways that they should have, and we'll get no. to that. Maybe maybe it's because I knew a lot of musical theater guys, but maybe, no, maybe so. this is like this is a lad bible. Mm. That's what this is. <laughs> well, then you know, next uh, we meet Mike's friend Trent Vince Vaughn, Trent, and Hello. Trent immediately talks Mike into uh, forgetting about his ex by spending a night a one night bender in Las Vegas. Well, because he wants to go out with all the beautiful babies. Yeah. And that's what you do. It's it's what it's what guys who are money do. They go to Las Vegas in the middle of the night with three hundred dollars. Um and I, <laughs> I, I I do love the scene where they're just driving in the middle of the night and they're both just screaming at the top of their lungs, Vegas. Maybe Vegas, which <laughs> of course became an instant catchphrase. I have to say this about Trent, because I am trash. Like, so I was thirteen when this film came out, but I was in college when I saw it. And I know who I was in college in the early aughts. And I know I would have been attracted to a dude like Trent. (laughs) I would have been so in love with a guy who called me a beautiful honey baby because I'm desperate for attention. Um, But I also know that I would have dated a guy like Mike because of my own internalized misogyny. I do love a sad sack. I know a lot of guys like Mike. And I've been like, no, I can like make him feel better. So <laughs> this movie, like it did speak to a weird part of me where it's like, oh, just a reminder of all the garbage guys you were in love with in the late 90s and early 2000s. Good job. Yeah. And and the dynamic is, you know, Trent is uh, the, the loud mouth who tries to project confidence. And he's Mike the is the Randall. He's the Randall. And Mike and is the Dante. Mike and as my friend Dante. Natalie said, the whole world is made up of Dante's and Randall's. That's right. I remember that. I do. I do. To this day, I love a dude in a bowling shirt. I just fucking love a dude in a bowling shirt. Uh, not my I'm, style. Not my thing. You I'm know? human trash. Like, I know this. I'm, I'm a raccoon. As Mike and Trent are driving uh, through the night to Vegas, the next song on our soundtrack is uh, She Thinks I Still Care by George Jones. Let's go to a clip. Where the memory of her lingers everywhere Just because I'm not the happy guy I used to be 
classic country song, George Jones. Um, just one of the the absolute gods of the genre. Um, it fits perfectly from the lyrics, oh, but yeah. I feel like musically it's like slightly out of place. To see, here's where I think they do like one really smart thing, which is that the road trip music that we hear is like country western music. Yes, and I mean they are driving these sort of like lonesome country highways. Right, that that desert highway between L.A. and Vegas is pretty desolate. Uh, but I, I think in, even in the '90s, like country western music just fits right for that kind of a a vibe. Exactly, with a lot the music we're hearing a lot of like from the '60s, it fits. There's just something like that. It fits, but I feel like it, it kind of doesn't. It's like a slight distraction from the rest of the soundtrack. But because we've got that Roger Miller song coming up, I you could see I agree with your point about like it kind of bookends there. Like the, the country, yeah, the, the country western music is definitely traveling music, and then all the lounge and swing is like destination music. I'll 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 agree to that. Um, I do love this kind of country. It's just like so deeply sad and lonesome and obsessive, and I feel that in my heart. Yeah, and the the fact that like modern country has like completely abandoned this kind of stuff is very sad to me. Country <laughs> music in the sixties was just better, man. It had heart. I, oh yeah, I mean, I had grandparents really who watched the Grand Ole Opry all the time. I know all about it. Know all about it. <laughs> um, this is good but, stuff, though. This is really yeah. Good. It it really and it, like this is stuff that I hadn't paid any attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not anything that I listened to. So anytime I get it on these soundtracks, it's always delightful for me. Absolutely. Um, and, like that title, oh. she thinks I still care. It's kind of the inverse of where Mike's at, because like, no, he thinks she still cares. But it's also, he's just like, just because I happen to like call her a hundred times and uh, drive past her house, like, so she thinks I care. What a dope! <laughs> of course, I don't. It's sort of the, always something there to remind me of the 1960s. Oh uh, yeah, I guess I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> just because I asked a friend about her, just because I spoke her name somewhere. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> What a dummy. She thinks I still care. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. They're fun when they're fun. Um, But speaking of like uh, traveling and destinations. So they finally get to Las Vegas. They're driving down the strip. And the next song on our soundtrack plays. It's Tony Bennett's with plenty of money and you. Count Basie. And Count Basie. Yes, that's important. Uh, so let's go to a clip. Despite of the worry that money brings just a little filthy lucre buys a lot of things. And I could take you to places that you would like to go. But outside of that, I've no use for dope. It's the root of all evil, of strife and upheaval. But I'm certain, honey, that life would be sunny with plenty of money. And- How blessed are we that we still have Tony Bennett with us? He is a, a true American hero. How blessed are we? Um, and I just kind of want to take a moment just because we don't know how much longer we have him. But uh, because in 2016, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and continued to perform. And I think that really speaks to how ingrained and how powerful music can be. Mm-hmm. Because like you see that he just lights up when he sings. And there's that clip of him you know, performing with Lady Gaga where he's just like, and that's, there's my friend Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's, he struggles with so much, but he knows the music. And I mean, there have been so many studies um, that show that music calms and stimulates brain activity 
in patients with Alzheimer's. And there's all sorts of foundations out there like the Alzheimer's Music Project and Music and Memory that work with families and they build playlists of a patient's favorite songs and give them an MP3 player and headphones and they can listen to them. And they found that it actually like helps them focus and helps them be more present and improve memory. That's amazing. That's a great. It's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And so that Tony Bennett could still do all the, like sing all the words to these songs. I'm um, really, really tells you how much music is such a part of us and where it lives in our brain. Yeah. And like just where, the cultural spaces for music like this, like you hear this style and, and this jazzy upbeat, like Count Basie music. And it's like, immediately you're like, yes, this is exactly what Las Vegas sounds like. Like we'll, um, all, we'll always have that. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I also love with the soundtrack, having these classics help bridge that gap and give it a real authenticity that yeah. maybe something like the mask didn't quite have because it was all, contemporary Mm -hmm. it was too a little too in your face and a little too like present i guess Um, this yeah you're right this this definitely like seats itself in kind of a tradition of of music and this again like this era um as the swing revival starts up as uh the cocktail music era uh as we talked about you know lounge is is making a comeback um all of this the old and the new sort of mixing is one of the reasons that I think this soundtrack endures. It's, mm. it's kind of for the whole family. Yeah. There really is kind of something for everybody here. The clean soundtrack with the exception of one track, which we'll get to later. Um, and that it does have these classics because you think about how soundtracks are nowadays. And now I think you'd get, so much more covers mm-hmm. like you'd have Dua Lipa just like bleeding her little heart out over some manufactured electro swing beat. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you re- if you remade swingers today, which to be perfectly honest, you could never do nothing about this movie would fly today. Absolutely nothing. Oh no. It just, <laughs> just like not nothing, a single thing that is PC in this film. It's being douchebags to each other and women for 90 minutes. Like nobody would stand for it. Oh, which kind of makes it fascinating to watch. It is a weird little relic. Yeah, it's extremely of its time, but also there, there's just there's just enough about it that I I'm still like there's something worth examining here. Cultural artifact. It's a time capsule of a very specific time in our national discussions of masculinity. Yes, yes, definitely. And, and I think so. When when they're here, while they're they're in the casino. Trent is, you know, he's flirting. He's calling women beautiful honey babies, which his intent is to sleep with them and that's it. Right. Which in the right circumstances is fine. Like if they agree and he agrees, they're consenting adults. Um, it never gives the women any chance to voice their opinion, I guess, um, because the women in this film are sex objects and nothing more. They have no personalities. They are just to be slept with. So that's not great. No. Um, just the idea of hookups without regard to your partner's feelings. Mm-hmm. Not great, but at least Trent is a gentleman about it, I guess. Um, you could probably make an argument for hookup culture there. Uh, we don't get enough from the women to make that argument. However, Mike, 
just says this place is filled with nasty skanks and it's like the fuck did you just say to me yeah like he immediately sets the wrong tone <laughs> i don't know which is a worse way of like the way men looked at women but that's really how it was there was like the gentleman's douchebaggery and then the douchebaggery yeah it's like the guy who just wants the guy who just wants sex and then the guy who doesn't want anything to do with any of them because he sees women as either nasty skanks or yep. michelle no yeah. in between yeah. Women are nothing except they are either nasty or virtuous the way like, oh, Michelle, she's this perfect goddess up on this pedestal. Like, I want to take a step back just for a second, because like the moment where they walk into the casino is to me, that's the whole movie. Because like they walk in and they're all high and mighty and they've got their fancy suits on. They're looking like high dollar, like big rollers. And then they look around the casino and it's just all fucking old people as far as the eye can see. And they're like, they're not in the version of Las Vegas that they thought they were in. And it's just so deflating. I know they're there. They're, they think there's just going to be so many slots. They don't know where to begin. <laughs> but also they, they realize right away, like, oh, yeah, we're we're in Las Vegas on a Wednesday night between 12, p- 12 midnight and 6 a.m. Uh, who are we really going to find here? Yeah. which like that's on you guys (laughs) yeah that is absolutely on you two dumbasses which i love like this film does not set them up to succeed which has a pleasure all its own right like at at least john favreau has enough sense to know that these guys suck (laughs) yeah like that's where the humor in this is Mm. is that they just immediately get wrecked they think they're gonna be high rollers and they immediately get wrecked and yeah, Mike loses his entire like $300 wad on one hand of blackjack because he yep. sucks. <laughs> well, you always double down on the 11. Of course. Everybody, Everybody knows, knows that. that. <laughs> <laughs> There's that bit here where like Mike uh, tries to make a reference to the Age of Enlightenment. And he's like, why, why did I think a Las Vegas waitress was going to get a reference to that? And immediately she just turns around and is like, yeah, whatever, Voltaire. Like, you don't, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> He's such a loser. And I do like that this movie, this movie goes out of its way to humiliate him at every chance. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do also love that Trent calls him baby. Because he is. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a, a sad little baby. He doesn't know any better. I know. But, like, I think that there's a sort of non-toxic masculinity there. Mm-hmm. Just that he treats him with this affectionate name. There, yeah, there, there's a nugget of, of kind of truth into it. But, uh... yes. And they flirt <laughs> with a waitress. Yeah, a, co- a, a cocktail waitress, and and she pretty pretty quickly invites them back to her her trailer, her place. And yeah, and introduces them to her friend, who's a Dorothy. Yeah, because ba- at this point in the '90s, the MGM Grand was like all Wizard of Oz themed for some reason. That is very weird. Yeah, like the late the mid to late '90s were huge for Wizard of Oz, and I guess they still are. But like that whole casino was Wizard of Oz themed. Like if you've ever seen Vegas Vacation, the end of that movie, like you see the floors and they're all like rainbows and yellow brick roads. It's really strange. Okay, I have seen Vegas Vacation as we discussed in our last episode. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? Many times, yes. Okay, I have never been. It's it's great for a couple of days. It depends on what you're there for, really. Like, if you're there for, like, the gambling and the shows, a couple of days is all you can really get out of it. Yeah, I feel like I could do one day of gambling because I'm not, I'm not like, a gambler, but I think I'd want to, like, try it. Mm-hmm. And just low roller shit. <laughs> um, I feel like I'd really be there for sort of the kitsch value and also, like, oh, this was in Swingers, like. Yeah, there's a lot of that for sure. Like, you can, yeah. you can definitely go, go around town and check out landmarks and stuff. 
like, I think I'd be like, this was in Swingers. This was in Beavis and Butthead to America. This was in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. All right, I'm done. Yeah. I think much. there's also a clown motel that I'd want to see. There's a whole casino themed around clowns if you want to go to Circus Circus. But I don't want to do that. I don't recommend that. Um, I don't think I would like that at all. Yeah. I, the thing is, again, like, I find Trent really weirdly charming because I'm garbage. Like, I mean, he's flirting with Chrissy. I'm sort of like, okay, that would work on me. Trent knows how to get laid, but that's not the the kind of uh, schooling that Mike needs. Needs some schooling because he just talks down to everybody. He talks down to Dorothy and Chrissy. Yep. It gets his shit absolutely called. Absolutely, a hundred percent. We're we're missing a song here though because as they meet the waitress or Chrissy, uh, the song "Paid for Lovin'" uh, by Love Jones is playing. Yes. Let's go to it. I get paid for loving, ooh, yeah, you're looking so fine, yeah, papa, yeah, because your love is mine, 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 because your love is mine. 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 Because and again, that balance of classic and contemporary. Um, now, I know it, on The Mask, we talked about the cocktail re- revolution and swing revival was sort of a reaction to grunge. But specifically with um, lounge music, I see it as sort of a natural progression of the 80s sophistopop movement. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Bands like ABC, Everything But The Girl, and our friend from uh, There's Something About Mary, Meet Danny Wilson. Mm-hmm. Like that to me seems like a natural progression um, more than a reaction because swing definitely feels like a reaction. But we were starting to yeah. see this kind of creep up in the 80s. So yeah, it's, the, it's, the ground was laid for that. Right, like that pop movement and, and all of that. And then they're they're consciously taking a step back to like the lounge sound of what the, I would guess this is a forties and fifties era. Where yeah. This is really big. Yeah. Or even uh, up into the sixties was really like the height of like lounge lounge, like that mid century where you've got, um, like exotica moving right, in and that, yeah. that like lounge classic. Um, now, with this and with other bands we're going to see, Vince Vaughn was a fan of these guys. And that's how they ended up in the, on the soundtrack. And part of the reason the soundtrack is so good was because their bassist, Barry Thomas, was the music consultant on the film. Oh, okay. So they're like, okay, this, this band, this album has some real, some real power behind it. Like, not just like a guy, like an executive in a suit. It's got an actual, you know, really cool musician. Right, like they hired somebody who knew his stuff, and then he could compile a, a a playlist of all the stuff that would make the scene more authentic. And again, that that you know, get your friends into the film. Yeah, and that's a lot of that going on here. Yes, because like uh, even Doug Lyman directing the film is a, a, a consequence of like I think somebody involved with the with the film was like he was their roommate, and he said, "Okay, I'll help fund it if you'll let me direct it." But you know that this isn't your grandfather's cocktail lounge music because there's a line that says it's paid for love on every motherfucking day. Yeah, right there at the end, he <laughs> drops that F-bomb. And that, I was going to mention that because, like, 
up until that moment, you're like, this is a pretty good like facsimile of, of that kind of music. And at the very end, boom, there there's motherfucking F bomb and like up oh, he just shatters the illusion. Yep, it's the nineties, like so we're clear it is nineteen ninety-six. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um so they go back to the Airstream trailer that Dorothy and Chrissy occupy. Um and there is a line, Trent being a delight, he's talking about this audition he went on. He's like, it was for some you know, PSA, drugs are bad, Jeannie eats something, I don't know. <laughs> that was like the biggest laugh I had in the film. And the thing is with this movie, like, it, it's very easy to like pick apart, make fun of it, because it's terrible. But I also recognize like this film isn't for me, so I can't, I like, I'm not offended by it. Right. By all yeah. the ant- like, I just recognize I'm not the audience for this film. This was 100% like a big, like Libby do not enter He-Man woman haters club. Like this Blackguard is, the, this the is exactly the kind of movie that would probably have spoken to me if I had seen it at like 14 or 15. You guys that like really like this film, they were all musical theater majors. Um, and they were all terrible, but it's just, a, I know, I know it's not for me and, and I'm not going to hold that against it. It's like, no, nah, yeah. everything is made for Libby Cudmore. And it should be though. I, yeah, I don't know. I part of me thinks that like the, so they're they're definitely taking some cues from like the the Quentin Tarantino playbook and the Kevin Smith playbook uh. by just like the way they write these scenes of guys talking about women, and it's to I don't know. To me, it seems very sitcommy in a way that I don't really appreciate. Sonic, this because right now they're in the like the boys go to Vegas. Um, and which, which I thought. Based on everything that I knew about the film going in, I thought that was the entire movie. I was like, oh, that was 15 minutes of the film? And that's, oh, how, they oh, so- that's how they sold the entire movie was on them going to Vegas. Yeah, they're like, oh, shit. They just hang around in garbage apartments for the rest of the film. Okay. Pretty much. Um, like, we're still in that part of the movie, even. Um, but Chrissy and Trent are going to go to bed together. So yep. I don't blame Chrissy here. Um, and Mike isn't, isn't doing real well. He, he has a calling card though. Oh, good for him. It's a 1-800 number. Yeah. So he's going to go call his machine to see if Michelle called. And when she doesn't, like the girls come out and like mother on him and feel sorry for him. And Trent just sits there with his dick, like slowly deflating. Ugh. Like on the on the one hand, you, you feel bad for Mike, but on the other hand, like if he had even a modicum of sense, he would realize like, oh, they're falling over me now. But no, he doesn't care about that. He's the worst. Uh, He's just absolute nineties Dante Hicks trash. Yeah. Um, and also, like while while all of this is happening, uh, Magic Man by Heart is playing, which isn't yes, on the soundtrack, but it's the whole it's on the second soundtrack. Yeah, the, yeah, because they made a whole second called Swingers Two uh, album to further promote this film yes and i'm realizing that's a that must be a miramax thing because they did it with the uh rami michelle yep and they did it with the wedding singer that's true yeah so i think that's i think that's a specifically miramax thing Ugh. <laughs> I, I don't you know, a lot lots of things that i don't want to give miramax credit for but <laughs> particularly just being miramax 
at least this didn't have Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in it. They're in all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they're in a bunch of movies. <laughs> uh, so yeah, after this whole thing goes on, Mike and Trent decide to hit the road and go back home to Los Angeles. Yeah, and... hungover and sad. Um, Trent isn't wrong here, though. Yeah, when he's telling I. Uh, Mike, sometimes you just need to get over it. Yeah. Like, you just need to get over it. Sometimes like, you just have to make the choice to move on. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes, you know, it's easier said than done. But like at a certain point, like, come on, dude. <laughs> what are you doing? It's been six months. Yeah, get over it. Just decide. I'm not going to not going to think about it. But uh, as they're having this discussion, we hear our next country song. As you said, our bookend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Roger Miller with King of the Road. Let's go to it. For sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushing broom Buys a 8 by 12 four-bit room I'm a man of means by no means I love this song. <laughs> it's just such a such a pleasant song, but also kind of like slyly cynical about you know the the hobo lifestyle. Basically, there's a, there's a kind of heroism in, in being able to ride the rails and consider yourself king of the road. I it did it was kind of sardonic and, and very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you could kind of like okay, I could hear like Tom Waits doing this early on. It, this one surprised me though. Um, cause I, I was like, oh, why wasn't this used in National Lampoon's Vacation? Mm-hmm. So it would have gone really well there. This, yeah, this feels like a, the kind of song you would hear in like every road trip movie. Yeah. Um, like as things are going, maybe terribly. Um, but this is our second hobo song, I guess. Yep. <laughs> as, as it were, after uh, Riding the Rails from Dick Tracy. That's true. Yeah. And of yeah. course, Roger Miller, uh, we talked about him way back on our Disney episode where we talked about uh, Robin Hood. Yes. Oh, so, you're a big welcome, fan. Welcome back, Roger Miller. Yeah, this is a yeah, this is a good fan. song. Um, is, there's a there's a really I'm gonna say interesting because it's actually terrible cover by REM. I'd be what, interested to hear that, but I don't know if I'd like it because uh, where like it was apparently recorded at like a live performance, and Michael Stipe is obviously drunk. Okay. <laughs> and later, yeah. uh, Peter Buck, the guitarist, said like Roger Miller should be able to sue us for what we did to this song. <laughs> Which, it's it's genuinely ouch. fascinating. Ouch, that's rough. Um. Uh, so yeah, they go home. Next scene is Mike and Rob. They go golfing, and they're very yes, it, they're very bad at golf. They are very bad at golf to the point where I thought like it was mini golf. And here, Rob reveals what he's been doing in Los Angeles. He's trying to get work as an actor, and he's currently up for the role of Goofy at Disneyland. <laughs> Yes, he doesn't want to be goofy. <laughs> he doesn't want to be goofy, but it's like the only job that he's up for because he can't get anything else. Yeah. Like um, I used to, he's like, I used to do Shakespeare, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two months ago, I was Hamlet. Um, this really is a hangout film of the lowest order. Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. has its charms. I can see why people like this movie. Like, I really can't see what attracted people to this movie because you really do feel like you're hanging out with these guys who are ostensibly cool. Mm-hmm. Um. But Mike wants to point out that he didn't mention Michelle once. Which immediately breaks the illusion. Yeah, it's like, here, Mike, have a trophy. (laughs) Three trophies for Mike. Oh, poor Mike. 
He just needs a pizza trophy. <laughs> but so cool tapes. <laughs> so later the guys are back at their apartment, which I assume is somebody's actual apartment. Like it's either yes, I assume that's where Vince Vaughn lives, like among a pile of bowling shirts and pizza boxes. Right. Because he's got like a taxi driver poster on one wall and a reservoir dogs poster on the other wall. So you're playing know, Sega hockey. Yep. And with uh, some other generic nineties dude. Yeah. Like, like Ben Affleck or Jason Lee and some other movie by some other director. This is the moment where I made there that, like that theory came into focus, like clerks for dudes and bowling shirts. That's all this film is. Oh yeah. One, one like, million. It's just like, it's, it honed in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's here where they're talking about um, they're talking about like like Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino and the movie goes right up its own ass. Uh. <laughs> and they they talk about how Tarantino rips off Scorsese, which, OK, whatever. And then they immediately cut to a scene of them ripping off the opening shot of Reservoir Dogs. Like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, they've got that arc shot. It's like film talk with bros like, yeah. right around the, the table. Yep. It's just like, That's- oh. Jesus Christ. I think that that was the moment where I abandoned this film. <laughs> that was, I was the just birth like, of this every is not podcast. It was the birth of every podcast in the world. Yes. Yeah, so I was just like, nope, this yep. is, this is not for Libby. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. No. Nope. Oh, and, and while, while they're talking about all this, uh, the next song on our soundtrack is playing, uh, picking up the pieces by the average white band. Yes. Which, which feels like, well, let's go to a clip. Yeah. Let's, let's listen to this first. I know you know this song. Everyone knows this song. And it's slick as hell. It's fine. But it's one of those songs that you know even if you don't know. Yeah, like oh it's it's very much like it's it's the that guy of of music. It it's, is. Like I know this song. Yeah. It's the Richard kind of <laughs> funk music, I guess, of Scottish smooth music. Um this has appeared on The Simpsons. Yep. It was in Bowfinger. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was in Superman 2. And John Favreau likes it so much that he used it in Iron Man too. Oh my god! <laughs> Man is nothing if not consistent. The only thing I know about Iron Man two is that it has a soundtrack by ACDC, but there's only like one ACDC song in the movie, and the soundtrack is really just an excuse to sell ACDC songs. Okay, is Iron Man two the one with Mickey Rourke? Yeah. Okay, I think I saw that. I think I was like. I liked you in Sin City and nothing. I'm realizing and nothing else. <laughs> I guess nine and a half weeks. I do like nine and a half weeks. Uh, I, I thought she would, would bring up nine and a half weeks. Oh, this is not even the first time I'm going to bring up nine and a half weeks. Oh, crap. Okay. Well, let's move on. Because, yeah, like I said, the movie rips off uh, the first shot of Reservoir Dogs, even though they do it badly because they either don't know how to do slow motion or they just didn't think to do slow motion. Shots in this film. I actually thought there was something wrong with my screen. No, like they just or like slowed something down. like the film was stilted. I'm like, did something go wrong in this? Because I was watching it on streaming. Yeah. So I was like, is something? Is it running slow? Like, because it didn't look like real slow motion. It looked like your film is stilted. Yeah, it's where it's like where you take the like the regular motion film and it's like you just cut the frames and make it slow. Yes, but, but you kind of want to like take your DVD out and like rub it on your shirt and put it back, blow on it. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, you want to talk about streaming swingers? I have a great story to tell you. <laughs> yes. So the other night I'm trying to watch this movie on HBO Max and I'm wearing headphones so that I don't, I don't wake up Nikki in the other room. Sweet Nikki doesn't have to watch swingers. Uh, so anyway, I'm trying to watch this on HBO Max. I've got the headphones on. And when the movie starts up and the Dean Martin song plays, it's only playing on the left channel on my earbuds. And I'm thinking, okay, my earbuds are obviously messed up. So I stop the movie, disconnect it from my TV and reconnect the earbuds. Still, it's still only playing the left side. So I reboot the TV, still only playing the left side. I reboot the PlayStation, still the left side. I play a different movie on HBO Max. I watched the first couple minutes of Elvis. Sounds great. I might watch it later. Who knows? But uh, I went back to uh, Swingers, still on the left side. So, if, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you right now, the transfer of Swingers that's on HBO Max only has half the audio. And it's the most infuriating fucking thing I've ever experienced. Oh, my God. That would make me cry. I hate that. Like, when my headphones do that, it like it it makes me angry. Like, I have a like visceral reaction it makes me too angry to even go on yeah it's like am i going deaf what's happening right now that. so you know streaming media great job guys yeah go fuck yourself what up about our streaming experiences with swingers oh yeah uh our skit at the beginning was actually inspired by something that did happen to me when i was trying to look this up because i am a dumb idiot <laughs> and i just like okay i'm gonna watch swingers do 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 i'm just gonna google swingers and it did not immediately come up with the film. That was like the eighth result. But now I know where I can find swingers in my area or couples oh. for group sex. <laughs> so well, thanks for that. Thanks for that, everybody. I, ha- I have my own version of that story. I was trying to find the soundtrack for this online. So I just typed in swingers music, which is not the phrase you want to use. Because now I have in my history, like playlists for parties in which there is swinging going on. <laughs> Well, now I kind of want to know what's on. Like, is anything from the Swingers soundtrack on there? I would be Get, like, surprised. Get some nice cocktail jazz going. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the soundtrack has multi-purposes. I mean, the second hit on, on Google, 50 Shades of Blue, 50 Salacious Songs for Swingers. <laughs> hmm. Huh. Eh. Okay. Well, let's, let's click on this and find out. What, <laughs> what is the best song for swinging? Apparently, number one is Backdoor Man by Howlin' Wolf. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go scrub my brain out. Hang on a minute. Okay. I feel like I feel like if, if I went to a swingers party, I don't think I'd want to hear like lyrics. I feel like maybe just some nice instrumentals. Honestly, a lot of the songs on this playlist are just sex jokes. Like, I don't think the songs actually matter. Okay. Uh, although, actually, you know what? Great song for a swingers party? Sex Dwarf. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't have a joke for that. Yeah, by soft. No, it's just, a, I just feel like it'd be a great song for a sex party. Okay, fair enough. Luring disco dollies to a life of vice. Everybody. I used to play it at a, night, at a nightclub I went to, which was not a swingers nightclub. It was a nightclub for like Gen Xers to dance uh, okay. to Sex Dwarf. It was fun. Good time. Anyway, back to the film Swingers. 1996's Swingers starring Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Anyway, on to the next song on our soundtrack. The guys are going to uh, a fancy Hollywood party. And the song Groove Me is played by, was it King Floyd, I believe? King Floyd. King Floyd. Let's take a listen. Groove me, baby. 
story with this song goes that he wrote this as a poem for a girl who used to work at a box factory with him. Okay. And he was so shy. So he finally, like, he wrote this song, and then she stopped coming to work. He never oh. actually gave it to her, so he recorded it. That sounds like something that would happen to Trent. <laughs> I feel like that's, like, Trent's origin story. It's like the, the Hey There Delilah of the 60s. Oh, no! Don't ruin this song for me. <laughs> Is this not exactly what, song. Isn't that exactly what happened, though? <laughs> wrecked it. You've wrecked it, Joe. <sighs> oh, this is my superpower. Oh, God, I hate you so much. <laughs> Christ almighty. But no, this uh, is a great song. <laughs> it, well, yeah, it's very soulful. It's like some really deliciously soulful R&B, especially considering that when they get to this Hollywood party, it just looks like the worst dorm party you've ever been to. Yeah, and they, you get that one shot where they like they all walk in the door and it cuts to like the reverse of everybody looking and they all turn to look at you like, oh, God, these guys. Yeah, these douchebags. Because nobody likes it when the swingers dudes like show up at your party. They just no. don't. Like when dudes in bowling shirts roll up to your party, the party's over. Mm-hmm. It just is because those it, guys are terrible. It really is. But this is one of those songs, again, that shows that they did not slouch when it came to putting this album together. This song um, spent four non-consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard Soul Chart. Oh, wow. Peaked at number six on the Hot 100. And the Blues Brothers actually covered it for a briefcase full of blues. Oh, nice. They are not fucking around with the soundtrack. This is They didn't bring the B team. No, not 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 by a long shot. Um, this party honestly looks like it sucks. Yeah, there's nothing really going on at this party either. It's just it's just a, a bunch of Gen Xers hanging around in a in a someone's house drinking. Like there's nothing yeah, like fun someone's about this. split level ranch, which I also kind of love because again, this movie does have a certain authenticity to it. Oh yeah, these guys are not living this glamorous life. Like it really is just hangouts. Yeah, and. If there's anything interesting to be, to, about this movie to me, it's that they really did go to all these places and just shoot because it's like all, it's like free production value. Like go to a party and shoot, go to a bar and shoot, go to yeah. Vegas and shoot. Like I, I kind of appreciate that. The kind of the guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, of it. like even the scene where where Mike and Robert golfing. I kind of just believe they just snuck onto a golf course, shot a scene, and then ran away. <laughs> Uh, and I and I I like that. I do appreciate that. This is really like again that indie filmmaking era. Yeah. yeah. So props to those guys. I mean, you're all just made the some of the worst characters to ever exist. <laughs> but it was the '90s. We didn't have a lot of good male role models at that That's point. That's true. Uh, so we get uh, "Brick House" by the Commodores. Yes, uh, which I believe is on the second soundtrack. I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. See, when I think Brick House, we're never going to get to talk about Monkey Bone, even though it has links to other films we're going to talk about. Right. But there's a scene where uh, Brendan Fraser uh, sings Brick House. And it's like, it's so cringe. (laughs) And also he's singing it about Bridget Fonda, who is many things, but she is not a brick house. Mm, no, there's really not a whole lot of her to be mighty mighty or to let all hang out. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would be suspect about that. <laughs> yes, uh, but it's one of those things. Like it's supposed to be cringe, and it it fully achieves it. So when I hear brick house, that is actually what I think of. Mm-hmm. Just not on hot. And this, there's a very cool looking, beautiful honey baby. Who is just not looking at Trent. 
<laughs> she's like smoking a cigar. But when Trent does finally get to talk to her, she's clearly a lunatic. And we know this because the Jaws theme plays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, the Jaws th- theme, is the reason that this these guys showed up on Spielberg's radar at all. Because they had to ask him permission to use that music. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know who to blame here, but it's somebody. <laughs> yes. And like on one hand, like I want to be like, this is misogynistic and the way he tears up her number. And it just shows like women are like women with personalities are not to be trusted. But also like this woman is crazy. Like she seems like a lunatic and I can't like hold that against Trent. Yeah. So like not not all crazy women is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess I just like, I don't know. I, I can't I can't be mad about that. Like the, it's, I have limited quantities of outrage and I feel like I'm not going to spend it on this scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. Because she does seem nuts and they do call him on it. And I also like that, like Trent kind of can't score. Like even when he tries to score, he can't. Yeah. He's sort of the the butthead of this film. Come to Trent. So, and, and uh, you know, this film definitely shows that he's not great. It goes out of its way to show that. Unfortunately, Mike is terrible, too, and he gets the girls, we're going to find out. Oh, yeah. Um, which I don't like. I think I'd rather see Trent get the girl, honestly. But um, R- uh, Rob also agrees to be Mike's wingman when he goes to talk to a hot chick. Um, she is not impressed by his Chevy Cavalier. <laughs> no. Although my husband's like, hey, I drove a Chevy Cavalier. And I'm like, and you got a beautiful honey baby. So I guess it worked out. Everybody wins. Uh, He did drive a Chevy Cavalier. I was here for it. Uh, So then the guys leave this house party and they go to a bar downtown in Los Angeles. They're off to the Dresden. It's the Dresden. Yeah. And like how they all put clubs on their steering wheels. Yeah, I noticed that. This is that very 90s detail. Extremely like mid 90s. Like everybody had to have the club. Mm-hmm. Oh man! And then we get a cover of "Staying Alive" by a bar band, Marty and Elaine. And this is delightful. This is gross and awful and delightful. We've been doing this forever. They're like a, a an old LA institution, like Angeline of yeah. just old weird LA. Like a, as of uh, twenty sixteen, the most recent article I could find on them, they were still doing it. Like they've been doing it for like forty years. God bless them. Oh man, that's great. And it's and- funny. Uh, I have a, a friend, a coworker who's a Gen Xer, and he was talking about swingers and mentioning that. And he's like, Yeah, well, what's with that? Like the the bar band that's doing Staying Alive. And his friend who had lived in LA was like, No, they're real and they're <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you don't you don't mess with those people, I guess. No, you don't mess with Marty and Elaine. Nope. Okay. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that this wasn't on the soundtrack, although I guess they wanted to keep more of a vibe because that's what the the first Swingers is a whole vibe. Oh, and yeah. And this would throw off that vibe. Yeah, but it, it does appear on the second volume. It does. So, which is weird because that has less of the music that appeared in the film, but isn't a vibe. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's a weird contradiction. Yes. Like it's almost to the point of like, why even do a volume two? Um, but Trent's friend Sue is in has joined them in this scene. His dad was a big Johnny Cash fan. Yeah, and that that wasn't a joke apparently. No, um, but he has a whole ass wallet chain. 
This needs to be acknowledged. He has a whole ass wallet chain. Mike later in the film also has a wallet chain. I know. I got very mad at Mike in that scene. (laughs) But I mean, like, he's the whole thing. He's got the bowling shirt. He's got the wallet chain. He probably has a less than Jake album. Mm, Oh, yeah. At least Uh, one. Maybe two. Yes. Uh, We learn that Mike hosts an open mic at the ha-ha hole. This poor guy. This guy can't catch a break. (laughs) He just sucks. Um, And he's talking. She's a Starbucks barista. And she's like, didn't you come in to uh, ask for an application? And he's like, no, no, I, I have a manager. Uh, 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 I'm booking Vegas. And she's like, no, you were in last week. I was going to interview you. <laughs> this poor dumb sad sack. And he gets this girl's number. While, uh, meanwhile, while Trent, it's, this is where Trent and, and Sue are just like watching and laughing along. Yes, because it's bad. Um, how about the, her, We learned that her name is Nikki. Yes. Um, how many fucking olives does she eat? Like 15. I know. It's just like, who eats that? That's disgusting, Nikki. You buy a martini to eat the olives. Like, no. You know, you gotta have lunch, right? (laughs) Mike gets Nikki's number, and he he and Trent and Sue start debating over how soon is too soon to call this girl back. Trent and and Sue both kind of agree, like, yeah, we don't call for like nine days or some, whatever the number is. I hate that shit. I hate that shit. (laughs) But but they kind of come down like Mike, you get we get to wait two days. Says, All right, I'll wait two days. He immediately goes home and calls her nine times to the point where she's like, "Don't call me anymore." He's insane. Yeah, <laughs> like after one call, like "All right, you're you're in, you're fine." Two, eh, maybe, but then six times. What are you doing, my dude? Yeah, not the next night. Like I want the guy to call the next day. Um. But they also have like this weird discussion about how she's like a little bunny and you have to like you have fangs and you have claws. And by this point, the movie has lost me. I'm like, are you supposed to kill the bunny? Like, do you pet the bunny? What is going on? I don't know. What does the bunny represent? I'm really <laughs> lost here. I don't know what's going on. I'm just a girl. But like, it, it comes back later because when Mike finally sees the girl that he winds up with, he first immediately imagines her as a bunny. And you see like a live rabbit on the bar. It's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Ah, and it's also weird because like that's my husband's nickname for me he calls me bunny and so i know it's so cute um but so i'm just like wait what is is this i mean this like i guess i kind of wish i'd watched this film more as a young woman because i was like do guys really think like this like was this the psychology of men like could i have broken them down and studied them (laughs) i mean is this what they're thinking yeah I, it was again. I was in college in the early two thousands, and they all watched Swingers. It's like, okay, this explains so much about men in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Eye opening. Um, we also before Mike goes home and calls Nikki a thousand times, like psycho. There is a fight with what might be neo Nazis. Maybe we don't know. Yeah, with it's- Sue, um, because every film needs its Randall. Yeah, and they like they whine and they fight, and he's like, he says a bunch of stuff about Michelle. And it's not quite as effective as like, fuck you, fuck you, man. Uh, there you go. Trying to pass the buck again. I'm the cause of all your problems. Like Randall's whole monologue. It's right. like a really watered down version of that. It's like the end of the night one where the bartender has to cut you off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that version. Oh, You're yeah. just getting water with like a splash of whiskey in it. But really, it's just like, take your wallet chain and go to hell, Sue. <laughs> yeah, really. Take your wallet chain and go right to hell. But uh, we're coming in, we're coming up to like the third act where everything finally starts to come to a head. 
we have a montage of Mike listening to jazz in an undershirt and slacks, and it just sucks. Um, and of course he's reading Charles Bukowski. Like that was where that was where Ian checked out. He's like, nope, fuck this dude. Yeah, see, I think I had fallen asleep at this point. <laughs> but he has all these messages, and Trent says they're going to the Derby for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. That's, like that's, it's name yeah. brand. Um and sort of like if you go back to the mask, he pulls out the uh the ticket stubs and they say Royal Crown Review. Mm-hmm. So uh, these are name brand bands. Um, or they could go to Swing Night, or they could go to Sinatra Tributes. They're all the same thing. Right. There's going to be some fucking swing dancing in this movie because it is 1996, goddammit, and it is L.A., and we are doing swing dancing, and you're going to fucking do it whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and there's some more slow motion shot. At this point in the film, I was like, if I see one more slow, one of these crappy slow motion shots, I'm going to punch Doug Lyman in the throat. I'm going to look at him. I'm going to say, I used to fuck guys like you in prison, and I'm going to rip his throat out. Hated it so much. But Rob brings him some groceries. He seems like a good dude. And you just sort of realize, like, Mike is not money. Mike is not money at all. He is the least money. He is pocket change that you find in the lint trap. Mike isn't even the least money because we find out Rob is the least money because Rob followed Mike because he thought Mike was making it. Oh, boy. That's, oh, you're right. That's even worse. Rob, Rob is like pennies that are covered with old gum. Yeah. And Rob lets him know, like, you think you've got it bad. I lost play. I lost out on playing goofy at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and this is also where Rob reveals that um, Mike left Michelle. Yeah. Which we did not. But, we're not privy, privy to him earlier. And I think about this um, about the heartaches I experienced in my early 20s and how real they felt like they just felt so deeply real um, because he says you wake up and it hurts a little less. And then one day it doesn't hurt at all but you almost missed that pain because you lived with it for so long. And then one day it's gone. And I was thinking about a guy that I was in love with in my twenties and how like there are songs that no longer remind me of him. And I'm sad because I miss feeling that. Yeah. I, I can a, definitely understand that feeling. Yeah. It's a weird sadness, but like, I don't, I don't get that like pang of longing anymore. And I miss that. I don't miss him. But I miss the longing because I'm in your 20s. There's something about it where you feel things just more deeply than you've ever felt anything in your life. And oh, yeah. that part I did like about this movie because I was like I was broke in my 20s and lived in garbage apartments and just did weird nightlife things. I mean, I was in Binghamton, not L.A. But so like in a weird way, like I did understand this film and I, I identified with it which i hate saying yeah but like like, i felt all those things yeah and also rob's (laughs) lesson there like that's just a good lesson about like how to handle grief like of any kind yeah like every every day you know you you take a step forward and it hurts a little bit less and then one day all of a sudden you realize you can manage this on your own and it's okay oh which is important and this is the point where rob disappears from the film because he's not in the final scenes oh yeah because (laughs) they don't invite rob to the bar yeah, because the the one guy who's right about everything, well, we can't have him around. Did like, John Livingston get another job or something? Like, did I don't he, know. Because he, he just disappears from that, the film. Did he get office space that quickly? I like to hope so. <laughs> Please, 
Rob Livingston, you des- or Ron Livingston, you deserve better. Um, but we also find out that the guys they fought with at the bar, they're all friends now. Apologies all around. And we head to the Derby for the big number. Here we go. Yes. And now, once again, because we're going we're gonna to mimic Tarantino, mimicking Scorsese, they do the, the tracking shot from Goodfellas where they enter through the kitchen and all that <sighs> bullshit. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so we have here, it, live and in person, we have Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and they are performing You and Me and the Bottle Makes Three Tonight, baby. So let's go to a clip. All right. I said, hey, come on, how you doing? Well, have you been? He says, I've been fine with my whiskey, wine, and gin. Man, I know I gotta go. It's the same thing every time. But I don't think another drink's gonna make me lose my mind. So I think about my next drink. And it's you and me. In the film version, um, Scotty actually sounds a little hoarse. Uh, vocalist Scotty Morris. Um, he's kind of trying to like Elvis it up. Mm-hmm. But the soundtrack, um, I assume, I was listening to this on a playlist, is the version that you hear on Americana Deluxe. Is that true? Is I, be- I believe so, yes. Okay. Um, that's the problem with not actually having the physical CD is I'm just relying on what somebody put on a playlist. Right. And that's the other thing, too, is like this: it, the actual soundtrack is not available on Spotify. It's not available on Apple Music. So you have to kind of reconstruct it yourself just based yes. on the track list. So uh, the one we've got up on YouTube, it may or may not be the actual songs from the, the film. We don't know. Yes. Um, but this did appear on their album, Americana Deluxe, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm. Now, this is this is where I get to nerd out. So like, here we go. I spent like an hour and a half with all this. All right, settle in, folks, because it's going to be a bumper ride. (laughs) But, Libby, please Uh, take it away. Oh, in the mask, I said that Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was the first swing band I'd ever heard. Yes. This was the first song I ever heard of theirs. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this was it. Um, Now, this appears on their album, Americana Deluxe, which is colloquially known as Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, as the title Americana Deluxe does not actually appear on the album cover. Okay. It's, but it is in the liner notes. Um, now, they were in the film because they played at the Derby and were friends with John Favreau. Uh, I talked about in the mask about Royal Crown of You, who also had a standing gig at the Derby, not being in this film because of contract issues. But I could not find where I sourced that when okay. I went back looking for it. Um, so they did not appear in the film and instead they got uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Um, although Royal Crown Review's song Dayton with No Dough, which is also from Muggsy's move, along with Hey Pachuco, uh, does appear on the Swingers to Get a Nightlife Again soundtrack. Oh, boy. Yes. Um, so yeah. let's talk about Royal Crown or let's talk about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Yes, please. What I thought was interesting about this was they they had been on the scene for a while. They formed in 1994, so they were a little bit late. You had the Cherry Pop and Daddies in 1988, Royal Crown Review in 1989, uh, and the Brian Setzer Orchestra in 1992. So these guys were a little late to the scene. Um, but Americana Deluxe is one of those foundational texts, along with Squirrel Nuts at Breast Hot, uh, Zoot Suit Riot, obviously, and Muggsy's Move. It's one of the four main albums in the genre. Mm-hmm. And it remains their best album. They still tour. They are actually touring. They will actually be in the Northeast like the next two weeks. Oh, wow. 
Like I could hang up this call and buy tickets and go see them in Connecticut or um, Rhode Island. They're playing that close. Nice. Uh, All right. They uh, they have toured continuously. Um, but this album didn't actually come out until two years after the film's release. Wow. So like 98, I guess. 98. Yeah. Wow. So even though they had a song on this soundtrack, which, as we said, was a didn't hit the charts until a year later, mm-hmm. it would be another year before they appeared. So. In 1996, we got the Squirrel Nut Zippers hot. And in 1997, we got Zoot Suit Riot. But these guys didn't appear on the scene for a whole year after that. Which is kind of crazy, considering that this song was already making the rounds on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So that they actually just didn't get into the studio and record another song and, or another album. And like the missing piece of this puzzle that I'm I'm trying to like slot in in my head is... Where does that one Gap commercial fit into the mix? You know the one I'm talking about, like the... The Jump, Drive, and Whale commercial? That comes yes. out in 1998, which is sort of considered the death now, although um, it it starts to head on the downslide, but still has a few sort of bumps. I always think of like the real death now. Uh, it hits at about 1999. Okay. In 2000, so... Um, but we'll talk about that on Blast from the Past. All right. Sounds good. I'm, yes. I'm looking um, forward to that. But so on review, we're the kings of gangster bop. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy's place is that they were sort of a lighthearted party record. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to swing, baby, and have a good time. You and me in the bottle makes three tonight. They're, in essence, Trent. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. They're just, and, and their live performances are like that. The whole band is like that. Uh, they are really, really lovely people. This song really could have been written for Trent because it's got that whole cocktail lounge scene. It's about bar hopping. Um, it really is just like a lighthearted, like, let's go party it up. Um, and it's kind of funny because if you lay them out in a spectrum, these four bands, I'm not counting the Brian Setzer Orchestra, only because Brian Setzer is kind of the godfather of all of this. Right. Okay. So um, if you if you lay these these four out on the like the good side, lighthearted, you've got big bad or yeah, you've got big bad voodoo daddy. And then you sort of get like Royal Crown Review. They've got a song Barflies on the Beach, which is a little bit like this, but a little more vaudevillian. Um, because they were sort of caricatures. Mm-hmm. You've got the squirrel nut zippers. And then on the far end, the chaotic side of everything, you've got the cherry pop and daddies. Because while this song was happening, Steve Perry had already recorded two songs, one called Pink Elephant and the other called Drunk Daddy, which was the first song off their first album, 1991's Ferociously Stoned. So this was not, that's not a fun party album. <laughs> that's a bad party album. <laughs> These two bands could not be further apart. And again, you've got this sort of spectrum from light to dark. I I love this because like I, I, in my mind, I don't know hardly anything about any of these guys. So like it all, to me, it all is fairly similar, but I love hearing that there's like a whole spectrum of this style of music, like the squirrel nut zippers. I'm only really familiar with because they're from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So they're kind of like hometown heroes, but not really. Speaks to the fact that, by this point, swing is starting to move 
from the West Coast to the East Coast. Right. Because um, they formed, I think, in about 1994. So as we talked about, the mask really starting to move that to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, sort of back to this song. This one isn't really one of my favorites. I like it, but I feel like it overstays its welcome just slightly. Yeah, and especially in the film version, you can tell they're really playing it up because they know there's film cameras around. Yeah. And and this was also a case where, like, once again, they just went to the bar to, like, to see Big Bad Voodoo Daddy perform and shoot them for the movie. They were, like I said, they were buds. Um, if you're looking for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy songs, Mr. Pinstripe Suit is probably their best song. Okay. It is also on Americana Deluxe. That's a that's an amazing song. All right, uh, I do like he shows uh, Dirk Schumacher. They go back and forth, and I've interviewed Dirk. Uh, I interviewed him for an online magazine I wrote for for a little while. Lovely, lovely man. Honestly, I'm going to spread my stories about the uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy out because I have so many. <laughs> okay, I've seen them three times, oh, and wow. I have a different story from each one. Nice. Um, but of course, they find some girls, and. They're still lame about it, but Mike goes to the bar and he talks to Lorraine. He's played by then newcomer on the scene, Heather Graham. Right. And this is where, as you said, he sees her as a bunny. He, he, he uh, gets, he gets his, he gets his courage up a little bit. And he decides he's going to go chat her up and she gives it back to him as much as he's given it to her. She's like, sassy. She really is. Like she's I like, her. she's like, she, he, he makes a joke about, you know, her name's Lorraine. Oh, like the quiche. I love quiche. And she says like, oh, are, are men allowed to like quiche? I'm like, uh, uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that was an advertising concept, like a hungry man advertising concept, like real men don't eat quiche. I, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was a very specific joke. Like your average dude is a caveman who doesn't know what a quiche is. Yeah. Like, I yeah. That. Like, I think that was, that was a hungry man advertising slogan at the time. Mm hmm. But yeah, I mean, she's got the whole look going on. She's got the victory roll. She's got the red lipstick. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So she's she's got it all going on. And they kind of bond over heartache. Yeah, because he he goes into his whole spiel about, you know, being six months out from his ex. And she tells him that she's four months out from hers. And, you know, they bond over that, which is which is nice. Uh, and then she asks him to dance, which, again, he's such a passive character. Like, he has to be asked to dance. Yeah. Like, do this whole thing. He doesn't actually make any... Uh, well, all the moves he makes are terrible and bad, but he's so passive and things just sort of happen to him. So good, good for him, I guess. But then to his credit, he knows how to dance. And he, he takes it slow. And it's funny because in my head, since I know that album so well, I would have, like, it, in my head, I'm constructing it. And I'm thinking they should do Mattis Kind of Love. Because that that'd be like a really good song for the scene, but it is a slower song, and wouldn't have allowed him to like show off his sweet moves. Also, uh, I don't know if it was written yet. That's fair. Yeah, that would that yeah. would make a difference. Yeah, like I I'm realizing that yeah, this Americana Deluxe is still two years out. So who knows if they actually had Mattis kind of love on their set list? So instead, we it's get kind of wild. Go Daddy O, right? Yes. So let's go to a clip. Yeah. This is a great song to dance to. 
This is a fun one for sure. It really is. It's got that great call and response. And it's a good warm up song for mm-hmm. like beginners to groove to. And I'm not a great dancer. Um, I like doing it, but I'm not like, I don't know all the moves. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mike reveals later that that he took ballroom lessons so he can at least hold his own on the dance floor, which yes. as, as far as as you know, dancing with Lorraine goes, that's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, that's very important. Um, unfortunately, he has a wallet chain. Which is that takes two points off. Well, you know, point uh, a for effort, I guess. No, no, not a for effort. A B, for B minus, chain. B minus for effort. C, C for wallet chain. C for um, chain. <laughs> I've actually seen Big Bad Voodoo Daddy three times. Okay. I saw them in Albany. I've seen them in Binghamton, and I saw them at Saratoga. Um, and during the Albany show, which is part of their Alive at Five concert series outdoors. It just, the skies just opened up. Oh, no. Just started pouring. And I was there with a friend. And we're looking around at, like, someplace for shelter. We're like, do we crawl under the stage? Like, what do we do? I mean, there's no place to go here. Except the equipment truck. And there's half the band, including Dirk. Like, come on, come on, girls. Like, so we stood in the equipment truck. (laughs) Like, half a big bad voodoo daddy. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's awesome. It was really, really fun. Um, I don't have any pictures from it, unfortunately. Um, but when I saw them in Binghamton at the now defunct uh, Magic City Music Hall, where I also saw the Gin Blossoms, as we've talked about. Yeah. Um, I did get photos with them, so I'll have to post some of those. Um, I look really dorky. Um, it was 2005. I, I guess that's my excuse. Um, and then when I saw them in Saratoga, I got them to sign the poster that I have hanging behind me as I record this. I love that. Yeah, yeah. They are all in all lovely men. I've loved seeing them. <laughs> um, they're not my favorite of the, of the era, but I've always enjoyed seeing them. They're just they're one of those bands that like when they're in the area, I like to go. That's awesome. Like yeah, they're really fun. Uh, that, it, it's a whole scene that I just, I li- genuinely know like nothing about. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're the expert here. I'm glad you've got yes. some experience. And I feel like the reason that uh, the mask uh, swingers and then blast from the past all the reason I grouped them together is because they have this swing dancing scene. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the essential. And I haven't seen the film Three to Tango. Which has the entire soundtrack is swing music. Um, But I did a little research and I couldn't find if there was a swing dance scene in it. I didn't, nothing came up. Um, If there is, then we can add it to the genre, although I really don't want to see it because it sounds like a terrible movie. But I I feel like that's that's what sets us, like, to be in this this list. Mm hmm. You have to have that swing dance scene, obviously in the Coco Bongo Club, um, and then here, and then in Blast from the Past as well. Right. That's like that sets it apart. Then rather than just have the music on the soundtrack, you have to have the dance, the dance number, because oh, everyone likes to see it. Of course, yeah. Like if you're going to include the band, you might as well have a dance number. There's also a third song on the soundtrack, uh, a cover of "I Want to Be Like You" from the Jungle Book. <laughs> that's right. There is. Yes, which I thought of you when I was listening to him. Like, oh, I, like I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because you're the Disney adult. Uh, oh God, you're you're so right. Uh, it's okay. I I don't I I don't like the um what's the word? I don't like the inflection that he gives when he sings it. But that's really 
neither here nor there. It's it's fine. It's always a fun song to hear. So yeah. it, it, it's good to hear it on the soundtrack. I kind of wish it was in the movie, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I that's that one is also uh, on the album. I I think I used to like it a lot more than I do now. I feel like it needs to be just slightly up tempo. Like when I listen to it, it always kind of lags a little bit for me. Yeah, it's a little. I mean, it's obviously from that kind of an older, older style of uh, like jazz and swing. But um, it's yeah. yeah. Like I think it just needs like a little more pep. I really like their cover of Minnie the Moocher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Americano Deluxe is a solid album. Um, if you're into this kind of thing, if you like this scene in Swingers, like it's worth picking up. It's, it's good. I really wish they'd they'd reissue it on vinyl. Um, and it's great because, like I said, these guys still tour. They tour more or less nonstop. They put out a bunch more albums. Um, they do a good cover of uh, "Zat You, Santa Claus." I think I want to say Dirk sings on that one, but you can add that to your Christmas playlist. Oh yeah. It's really that. good. Um, but they he actually uh, he gets Lorraine's number. Finally, he walks her out to the car and, and he's gonna score. <laughs> like, although I feel like there there should be like a scene in this film. Like, it really is like here lies Trent. He never scored. <laughs> this poor guy. No, because he he did score. <laughs> He like half scored. I don't think like I don't think he crossed the finish line. Oh, okay, that's fair. I mean, like, like this yeah. this scene, but like where Mike is, is walking Lorraine to her car at the end of the night, like is genuinely tense because you don't know if he's gonna screw this up again or not. Yeah, like can he seal the deal? And he does. <laughs> he really does. And Congratulations. She, seems, she seems up for it, which is great. Yeah, but I I have one little. I don't know if it's a quibble. It probably is. Everything about this movie is a quibble. Um. So he gives her his card and she points out that it has the little Groucho duck from You Bet Your Life. Right. She's a cool girl. She knows about shows that aired in 1950. She gets his references. Uh, she gets his reference. So, um, of course, that 1950s game show. Uh, the show did re-air in syndication in 1980 and 1981. So it does stand that Mike, who we know is 23, making him born in 1973, um, he would have seen it. Right. He would have been about eight years old. But I want to put that in some context. I want to do a little math for okay. you. Oh, oh no. Put that in context. Imagine that I am handing you a business card. Okay. Do you know what that business card would have on it? What would it have on it? It would have a picture of Regis Philbin asking, is that your final answer? <laughs> that is as far away. You bet your life in syndication is as far away from... 1996 as who wants to be a millionaire is as far away as 2022. So yeah, like it's conceivable, but also it makes me feel like Methuselah. Yeah. to dust. I, you heard that? Yeah. I'm withering away as we speak, but also like, if you think about that whole phenomenon, like put that out, you know, even like today and you're, you're thinking like, okay, uh, Lorraine, would get that reference because she's seen clips of it on YouTube, you know? Yeah. Like back then it's like, Oh, she must have really actually watched it or no. She saw clips of it on TikTok. Who are we kidding? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> somebody, somebody <laughs> yes. put you bet your life on TikTok, please. <laughs> um, but, uh, we go to the, the diner that they hang out at Sue and Trent are like drunk. 
They Trent are throws a fucking fit. Yeah, Trent is being real. Like I can't tell if he's excited or not. He's being real weird. I think he's. I mean, yeah, he's being weird because Mike finally sealed the deal, or is is you know he's he's on his way, and Trent is still just like a trained ape that is being fed breadcrumbs, and he's yeah. sick of it. But I don't know. Excited for him? I don't think not. he is. I, I think I think I, he's pissed off that he's that he's finally being like left behind. I always I read it like as he's excited, like my my babies, you're grown up and you're grown up and you're grown up. I mean, I guess, but just the way Vince Vaughn plays it, it's it was like genuine anger in his voice, and it's very strange. To like have him on this podcast, like Vince Vaughn, what what were you feeling? What was what was in in Trent's mind? What was going through? What was your process <laughs> as you were being Trent? We we no, we don't Can you take us inside of that. I'll, t- I'll th- thank you, Vince Vaughn. I'll take my call off the air. I'll take my answer <laughs> off the air, Vince. Hey, Vince, why are you why are you making a sequel to a Christmas story? We already had one of those. The elf too, don't you? Oh God! This See, that's disagree. that's the thing with with John Favreau, and we talked about this like off air. But everyone took all the wrong messages from this movie. Like the, the entire like marketing campaign, everything that I know about this from through cultural osmosis is just that it's guys being douchebags and hey, isn't that cool? And that's so not what the movie really is that I feel like John Favreau at a certain point saw the way that the culture took his movie and just gave up and started making cartoons ever since. And you know what? Wow. Good for him because he's making bank. But like his one attempt at making like an honest statement and everybody just said, yeah, Trent's awesome. I'm going to get laid tonight. <sighs> Like, yeah, I would I would go and make Elf 2 if I were him. I know, you hate Elf. It's fine. He makes a point. Mike makes a point. He's not going to call her. Yeah. And this is where we get one of our uh, second to last songs. Um, we get Louis Jordan, Knock Me With a Kiss. Okay. Let's go to a clip. I like cake and no mistake. But baby, if you insist, I'll cut out cake. Just for your sake, baby, come on and knock me a kiss. I'd like pie, I hope to die. Just get a load. See, this one feels like a precursor to Bread and Butter by the New Beats or Devo, as in the case with Nine and a Half Weeks. I told I, you I was going to get another Nine and a Half Weeks reference. Yeah, here. there it is. Yeah, I definitely get that. And this is this is another one of the songs where it just the style and the the old school. Uh, I guess jazz vibe of it. I really enjoy it. And I think I uh, would have preferred more songs like this in the soundtrack. Good balance between the the classic and the contemporary. Um, especially because Louis Jordan was one of those cats that invented rock and roll. Yeah, definitely. This song in particular had significant success as a crossover from what was then called race records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like black musicians. And, but white audiences really like this too. And I, I think having black artists on the soundtrack was so critical, especially because the swing revival was a very white genre mm-hmm. and very whitewashed. It was white artists recording music that was invented by black artists. So yeah, you could, you could do a whole breakdown of cultural appropriation. I actually, in, in prepping for this and in just in my listening habits, I realized that Hey Pachuco and Suit Suit Riot are the same song. <laughs> They're the same song. <laughs> Yeah, in my head, I'm humming like, yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah. Yeah, Summer 43, my man's got him for me. Like, they're both about the Zoot Suit riots. <laughs> Just Steve Perry is nothing if not subtle. 
Just kidding. <laughs> I love the daddies. I can't wait to talk about Blast from the Past. I'm so I'm so excited. But um, actually, uh, Louis Jordan was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence in 1987. Oh, so yeah. occasionally they get something right. Um, yeah, this is the, this is actually the third time we've had Louis Jordan on the podcast, kind of. So we t- yeah we we uh, discussed him with uh, Louis Armstrong on My Fellow Americans. That's right. I knew yeah. I recognized it. And also, uh, let's see here. We also had uh, Fishbone do a cover of a Louis Jordan song on The Mask. There we go. The good there times we roll. go. That's right. So there you have it. You're grown's up, <laughs> Joe. You're grown's up and you're grown's up and you're grown's up. Um, okay. And again, where The Mask updated all these songs, this one is just using them in their authenticity. Right. And I think that's the, that, that's the right move here. I agree. Like, I agree. A couple of the, again, a couple of contemporary songs, not not really counting uh, "Big Bad Voodoo Daddy." I'm more thinking of the the Love Jones song, which I'm not. The more I listen to it, the more I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> oh, I love it. The more I listen to it, the more I love it. I don't know, um, but like I I think there's a charm to having the original tracks like like this song on there. So I appreciate that. I guess I I like the balance, um, and especially as we're seeing this swing revival and cocktail revival mm-hmm. start taking into the mainstream. Um, I think that's like having that having those two balanced on the soundtrack, I think it's important. It sets it in a very specific place in time. Yeah. And I mean, I, it makes sense because like, you're, why would you like feature, uh, why would you feature this, like the lounge and the swing revival, if you're not going to include the artists that are, you know, participating in it. So I understand and, why they're here. And we talk about soundtracks that don't have anything new to add. Like if you bring up my fellow Americans, like it's a time life collection of like music, your granddad likes. Yeah, exactly. That's not a soundtrack that's going to light the world on fire, but this one, this one's actually got kind of, kind of got an agenda going on here and they're, they're, they're playing at something very specific. So I can at least appreciate that. Yeah. And one of the things I really liked about uh, this Louis Jordan number is I kind of liked imagining like my grandmother or my grandfather dancing to this. Yeah, you really can. Uh, Like I like thinking about that. Um, But, you know, I my grandmother was once a young woman. She was once my age and she would go out dancing like while wearing a girdle and high heels. Like, right. That's intense. You got to be committed for that. I know. But, you know, she danced with my granddad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just think that's real sweet. So probably just stuff like this. <laughs> so even though this song is like a little sexy, but yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a little little a, bit of a little, little bit of heat in there. It's it's pretty yeah. pretty good. So leave room for the Holy Spirit, Grandma. <laughs> um, the Michelle does call, and she's like, "Yeah, I just miss you." And it's like, why? He has no job. He has a garbage apartment. She lives in New York City. Like, surely she can find a nice guy who doesn't look like roast beef. <laughs> But for whatever, yeah, for whatever reason, she finally calls him and. Oh, uh, God damn it, Michelle. But he, he gets, he finally gets this opportunity because Lorraine calls him. Yes, she doesn't believe the two day wait either. Bless her soul. No, see, they're, they're both kind of on the same page. They really yes. are. They're, 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 they really they're, are. they're uh, kindred spirits. Yes, indeed. So we're, we're happy for him. He does talk with Trent having completed his journey into toxic masculinity. Hooray. Yes. Yeah, and Trent tries to figure out like why Mike wouldn't call his ex right back right away. And it's like, oh, I just I don't know. It didn't occur to me. 
whatever, brosephine. Um, Trent is also super flirting with this beautiful honey baby who in turn is actually making eyes on an actual baby that she has. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> Which apparently was something that happened to Vince Vaughn in an airport. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> absolutely delightful um it could like the more i think about it i'm like the more this film just really fucks with trent and i kind of love that yeah, it's, it's a perfect gag it really is realize trent he never scored poor guy trent you nut as it turns out trent didn't know a single fucking thing about picking up no. much less keeping any woman at all the real beautiful honey babies were the friends they made along the way oh that's sweet yeah um and we got our last song yeah, this is uh, I'm Beginning to See the Light by Bobby Darren. Let's go to a clip. Yeah. Then you came and caused the spark. That's a four-alarm fire now. I never made love by lantern shine. I never saw rainbows in my wine. But now that your lips are burning mine, I'm beginning to see... Another really lovely standard, but for some reason this one feels really cheap to me. Yeah, I, I, I get that because it's on the credits so it's like let's wrap the film up in a neat little package um and i do love it like i feel like if i was listening to this on my turntable i would love it mm -hmm. but i feel like lyrically it's a little on the nose and, and that too and also like when you open the film with dean martin i feel like you need to close big too and bobby darren just does not scream you know a big closing number yeah, I'm not quite you there. know who else recorded this song I mean who? aside from everybody I mean I know it's a Duke Ellington song first and foremost mm -hmm. our old friend and god of hellfire Michael Buble <laughs> of course he is I mean Darren you realize like Michael Buble like took all of his phrasing oh oh yeah 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 totally like, you can really hear like okay that's who he's trying to be he's not trying to be Sinatra he's trying to be Bobby Darren yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna steal, don't be so obvious about it. Steal from somebody only your grandparents have heard of. Like I, so it, that was like that was eye opening for me. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's the that's the real uh, the real discovery in the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> We've, but, uh, we're on to your on the, game, Mister Bubble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, on the second soundtrack, uh, they have one mint julep, mm -hmm. which we had talked about on uh, Down with Love. Yeah, that's right. I remember so, that. Yes. Yeah. This, so that's swingers. That's swingers. This, this, it's a fine way to end a soundtrack, but it, it could have had a little bit more oomph. Um, yeah. Swingers as a whole. That's tough. This is going to be a tough read. Um, I I definitely like the soundtrack way more than I like anything. Oh, this in the soundtrack film. is this soundtrack is money, baby. Oh yeah. So money, it doesn't even know has it. no clue. But like, this is definitely a soundtrack you can put on at any time. It will like immediately make your day better out of print uh it's not available on streaming mm -hmm. and i i really really surprised again it, that it's not on vinyl because cocktail lounge revival and vinyl seem to go hand in hand and that is really missing um you can get zoot suit riot and some of their other later stuff uh all on vinyl uh directly from the daddy's website um hot got a, a vinyl reissue a little while ago that every time i see it come up at my local store by the time i get there it's gone oh. um it's a very very popular record to this day and the squirrel that's a bristol tour as well but royal crown of you who disbanded uh in the the mid aughts none of their stuff is on vinyl 
Big Bad Voodoo Daddy has put a couple of their later albums on vinyl, but not Americana Deluxe or the follow-up, This Beautiful Life. And that really surprises me because I feel like that's a natural. Like people who listen to Swing Revival would absolutely listen to vinyl. Yeah, that's just money on the table, baby. Yeah, that the Mask soundtrack hasn't been reissued on vinyl, that Swingers, uh, it, it, it baffles me. It seems like a natural. You're you're right. It's it's definitely like a glaring omission, especially when the soundtrack is kind of the reason the movie was a hit. You know, it's it, it it drove the whole thing, and the fact that it was kind of like you said, clerks for guys in bowling shirts, it was kind of just a non-starter. I'm just I'm very I'm very surprised that this that there hasn't been a resurgence on this soundtrack among us. You know, a set group of people. This again seems like it'd be a real record store day kind of commodity yeah that's that's a a perfect opportunity and they're just letting it letting it go i honestly i should run record store day i'd be so good at it <laughs> at, least, at least let me pick the soundtracks yeah let me do that I, I would i would buy one or two or three so I, I guess the thing that i'm most thankful for with swingers is that they didn't try to like spin this off into any other like legacy sequel or TV series or Saturday morning cartoon. It's just like, let swingers be swingers. Damn it. Yes. Although I, I wouldn't mind seeing swingers um, revived like in, in its whole, like not changing anything except all women. Oh <laughs> yeah. Keep the, keep the language, keep all of it. It would work. Keep big bad voodoo daddy. They're still around. It would definitely I want to see it, but all beautiful honey babies. And it would make all the wrong people so angry. I just, I really want to see it. Make a multi-ethnic cast. Mm-hmm. Um, do it. I think it'd be great. Alternatively. And I know I just said this as a joke, but now I'm, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Swingers, the animated series done in the style of clerks. Stop it. <laughs> Stop making so many great ideas. I know. All right. So that's Swingers. I think I think it's a great soundtrack, not a great movie. Joe? Yeah, yeah a long way around the barn to say that it's, yeah, it's definitely got its place, but n- not for us. Yeah. Um, although I am really glad I listened to the soundtrack. Oh, it made me, I was actually uh, at the record store earlier today and was like, I should get some Tony Bennett on vinyl. I didn't find any, but now I'm like, I really need some, like, some classic Tony Bennett, some yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I was having a bad day, and I put this album on, and it instantly made it better. Swing Revival can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are we doing next time, Joe? Well, since we just did a whole episode about the Swing Revival, let's keep it going and do an episode about the Folk Revival. Uh, how about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou from the Coen Brothers? Oh, that sounds great. That's a, that's a great movie. Like I'm, I've been trying to get a Coen Brothers movie on here for a, a long time, and I, this, is like, this is if we're going to do one, this is the one we're gonna, one to do. That's the one. There it is. Joe, you're so money, and you don't even know it. <laughs> Well, we have well overstayed our welcome, so let's R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to hear us yell about anything else, uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can find me over on the Misbehaven podcast that has finally launched. Uh, my yeah. former Shattered Shield co-host, uh, Dashing Drew Rude, and I are breaking down the righteous gemstones. I love it. 
It's really, it's, we're having a good time. Joe, where can we find you? You can find me on the internet at Cordial Wombat, or you can listen to me at yell about Christmas movies all year round on the Christmas Creeps podcast. We just did an episode on a, a TV made for TV movie called A Mom for Christmas with Olivia Newton-John, and Woof. she's literally the only good thing about the film. <laughs> Yikes. So go check that out. And if you want to tweet at us, we are at OST Party on Twitter. You can email us ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, leave a star rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Let people know that this is a show you enjoy. And uh, I think that's going to do it for the show. So for the OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Take the ride.